Welcome to Sons of a Gun, a podcast about the DC Universe. I'm Alex Gunn. I'm Justin Gunn. I'm Pete. Also, Gunn. last name Gunn, also a gun. We're all three. Last name Gunn. We have a celebrity father we don't like to talk about on this podcast. We don't want to say who it is. Kiss ups to dad, though. Shouts to the DC <laughs> Universe. And like we always say, kiss ups to dad. Exactly. <laughs> and he's alive. It's not that like he's dead. He's alive. Yeah, he's and just he's further working. north than we are right now. Exactly. 100%. Again, we don't want to say where or give any hints. But we are going to be talking about Shazam Fury of the Gods, a.k.a. Shazam 2 today. So full spoiler warning here at the top, because we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about it. The Easter eggs, the cameos. And of course, the big thing apropos of this podcast is the what this means for the future of the James Gunn DC Cinematic Universe. Or not, as the case may be. Now, or not. Or not. Well, uh, the reason I bring this up, and we'll get into impressions in a second, but to get uh, out of the way right off, uh, this tanked the box office over the course of the weekend. Really? Yes. Yeah, it did really bad. Are you serious? Yeah, well, Pete, I know you saw it uh, 29 million times, which provided a lot of the chunk of change. Domestically, it made just over $30 million, which is about $5 million less than they were even expecting. It didn't do much better internationally. So things are looking grim. Yeah, but once it gets online, though, I'm sure it'll, you know what I mean? Online. You mean illegally streamed? Is that <laughs> no, what you're talking, I'm talking about? about? Like, you know, when you can do the rentals and, and that kind of stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, like a blockbuster and whatever. Yeah, or on yeah, HBO like when Max. it gets into blockbuster. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Obviously, there's a lot more potential life. It's just not doing very well right now, which certainly. I just wanted to. to Normally, when I go see a movie, I have the theater to myself. But for Shazam 2, it was packed. So I thought I was like, oh, man, it must be doing well. You know, if we want to get into it, I had the exact opposite experience. I went Friday night here in Brooklyn and I was like, "Okay, you know, it'll be fun. Even if I'm like 50 50 on this movie, it'll be fun to see it with an opening act crowd. Literally nobody in the theater, like completely empty theater. Finally, a couple of dudes came in towards the end and were shouting Shazam and inappropriate times, which they get it. Classic. Well, well, Pete, you saw it at Zachary Levi's uh, private screening room, right? Yeah. When you say Pat, it was you and Zachary Levi. He has uh, two seats. It's yeah. a two-seater. Two-seater. Yes. Both Best seats were taken, so yes. Yeah, so packed. very different viewing experiences there. Justin, did you see it a packed show, a empty show, or a or show that yeah, was yeah, just exactly. right? I, I guess it was more in the just right capacity. Oh, it was uh, like sort of fine, but I, it was by no means packed, I would mm-hmm. throw out there. Okay. All right. Did you – now, I got the Shazam porridge in the Zachary Levi head. Mine was a little hot. Pete, how was yours? It was just right. Oh, okay. I gotta say, leaning into porridge over popcorn was a mistake, a marketing mistake for the <laughs> yeah, movie. Exactly, I agree, hundred uh, percent that. But you know, I uh, I got the seven bucket deal where you get a bucket for every member of the Shazamly, oh, yeah. including, oh, wow. including the Wiz, and um, I didn't eat much. Let me be honest. I'm glad you included the Wiz, man, because it was one it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Well, let's get into this and talk about general impressions of the movie first. I'm gonna go to you first. Pete, because it sounds like you probably, I'm guessing, I feel like this is a safe guess, you liked it the most out of the three of us. So take it away. What did you like about this movie? Or well, not. I don't or, know. Surprise me. Let's see I, what I Pete's got. Low, I, I had low expectations. I wasn't like, oh man, I'm really, I can't wait for this. I was like, oh, this is out. I'll go check it out. Maybe it'll be fun, you know. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised. I felt like it had a, you know, from the DC flip opening, had a fun kind of like tone, really was setting setting the mood right, I felt like. And uh, yeah, I just felt like it was kind of a fun movie. There was a, a lot of like ridiculous moments, but overall, Seems. I just felt like it was a popcorn kind of a family fun movie. Mm-hmm. Justin, what about you? It's, um, I'm guessing you are a little bit more negative about it. Or surprise me. Yeah, no, I won't surprise you. I think that 
we recently re- uh, reviewed, watched and reviewed the first Shazam. And right. I, my right. review there was I was pleasantly surprised. I thought the movie looked different and better than a lot of other superhero movies. Mm-hmm. I thought they found some fun and surprising ways to sort of move through the characters. And while the script and the dialogue was a little hokey at times, I think in general I had a more favorable look at the movie. And this movie I feel like regressed on almost all fronts. It felt like the classic uh. Uh, uh, superhero movie intro where it's like, random villains doing a random thing being vaguely scary but they have something that we don't know what they're after and then just moves through that the a lot of the dialogue i felt was aiming at comedy and missed a lot of the times confusing story a little bit more of a messy look for the whole movie there were a couple much much fewer moments where i was like that's an iconic look uh they just didn't it looked worse and in general just felt like more of a mess Wow. I'm definitely more on that end. However, I will say in the positive end of the spectrum, I mentioned this with the first Shazam. I went with my kids when they were littler, you know, because that movie came out four years ago. And they were, no joke, completely traumatized by seeing it. Um, I didn't go with my kids this time, so that wasn't a concern. So that's a big up, I think, like for Shazam 2 versus Shazam, is it didn't traumatize my kids this time. Because they weren't there. They were not there, yeah. Great move. Because let me say, another movie that is like aimed... that's Seemingly. the only positive thing you're going to say about the movie is your kids weren't there. That's hey, the man. only. And, my and kids clear, are that's my a choice one. you made. My kids that's are my number one and number two. Made. I don't want to say which order is oh in, but there's God. definitely an order in my Smart. head I'm thinking about. Wait, all right, so you're telling my me. my number one or number two. When you Darla know. yells, taste the rainbow, motherfuckers, you guys weren't losing your mind. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> let me, let like, me throw this out. The you wanna, were you're like, get it, it together. You wanna, get it together. Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. You can talk. Uh, Alex and I were talking earlier today, and we were like, oh, we have Shazam. We're going to talk about Shazam, uh, Fury of the Gods later. All Pete's going to talk about is the taste the rainbow moment. It's going to be the first <laughs> thing he says, and luck, you did it. <laughs> it was glorious. It was hysterical. It was yes. really fun. I mean, she set it up with the well, whole absolutely one the of pockets. the longest Skittles commercials I've ever seen in my life. Usually, yes, the best. usually they're like thirty seconds or sixty seconds. This one, two hours and ten minutes. They Worth really it. put the effort into making a really good Skittles commercial. I, I tasted agree. the rainbow, and for those of you listening, you should know it's that the greatest that, Skittles commercial ever made. That Pete's name is Pete LePage Skittles. He's the heir to the Skittles family fortune. So, of course, he loves a Skittles hit. Pete, did it affect your enjoyment at all that Skittles suck? <laughs> uh, I disagree with that. Hard mm. disagree. Skittles do favorite not candy. suck. It's do you a- feel like there are M&Ms in a horrible disguise? <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy M&Ms uh, so much better than Skittles. But still, Skittles are enjoyable. So I mm. like a spree. You know what I mean? Come on. I mean, I'm not going to get mad at, uh, you know, you're all, candy. you're all over the place, Doug. You're almost, you're about to say, like, I love actual fruit. I, I love eating actual fruit. I love any kind of sugar, sweet combination. I mean, nice. Here, here's runs. what I'll actually say about the it movie. I think I'm glorious. very much in agreement with you, Justin. There were things that I liked in spots about it that I'm sure we'll talk about over the course of the podcast. But overall, even though I didn't love the first Shazam, I was disappointed in this one. I was what? disappointed in the script. I was disappointed in the convoluted nature of the plot. There were things that just made no sense whatsoever, which felt like, and this is one of my least favorite things, but when you're watching a movie, you're like, that was an earlier version of the script. Like, that clearly was an earlier version of the script, and you didn't change that, and then you just continued, or something happened when you were editing it together. What were you going to say, well, Justin? Well, I just, I feel like you're hitting on a lot of things I was thinking as well. And I, and I think, to be charitable about it, like, it's hard to make a big movie like this. And there are multiple versions of the script that we'll talk about later in relation to the post-credit sequences. So like they are juggling a lot, but of my big takeaway while I was watching this movie was like when they were making it, what were they thinking about? And I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean it like, did it all make sense to them when they were literally making this movie? Because it's complicated in so many ways. What are you talking and about? It's a very simple idea. This kid is turning 18. He's aging out. He's freaking out about it. There's a whole thing about him being 100%. rejected over and over again. And that's kind of him. But now he's also Shazam. And how does he deal with this all? 
And I get that. No, hold on. I, I want to interrupt because I think, Pete, you hit the nail on the head there, is you're absolutely right. The idea of him, of Billy Batson being 18 years old, worried about aging out of his group home, the first place that, that he really feels like he yep. has a family, has home. Thematically awesome. Really follows up really well on the first movie. Has this huge emotional thread to it. Pays off with, I think, probably the most emotional scene of the movie when his mom hugs him towards the end and is like, you're my Billy, you're my boy, that's what And that moment was great and worked. I thought that moment really worked in the movie. But the thing that I think you hit the nail on the head is you started after you were describing that then to go into like, and also is what you added there. And that's the problem is that that's the strong emotional thread. But it was like, also, he was like, I can't achieve control of my team. It's all or none. And then ultimately, at the end, he needs to fight this dragon by himself and lock them out and not work with them. And then also, he wants to date Wonder Woman and also all of these other things. And in the process, all of these other characters got completely lost, with the exception of Freddy, who I'm sure we'll talk about. But like, I think the worst example of it is Mary Marvel, who, if you think about who's great, mind you, like the actress is great. Does a great job with what she's given, but in the first movie, her arc was like, oh man, I really want to get into college, and then she doesn't. And in this movie, she's like, well, I kind of am like still living at home. What a bummer. I'd really like to have other friends. And the lesson she learns at the end is like, no. <laughs> and she briefly has a hangover. She uh, briefly has a hangover. Point. Like and nobody else gets any time to do anything. Well, first off, your 20s are sloppy. I mean, let's not even pretend. You know what I mean? Like, there's Mm -hmm. a lot going on. There's a lot of ups and downs. She's going to be sloppy, and so so is Shazam, too. Oh. (laughs) Maybe it was written and um, produced by a series of 20 year olds, because that's honestly what it felt like. It felt like this movie features kids being adults, adult looking superheroes. And I feel like this movie feels like it was written by kids and is like, this is a grown up movie we made because I, I appreciate your point, Pete, about the emotional core that you identified. I agree with you. Talk to me about what the point, what was going on with the daughters of Atlas. Tell me anything about the three of them and how they relate to each other. Actually, before you even get to that, explain to me why Anne Rachel Ziegler's character was going to high school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh it for the age she was portraying it was age appropriate yeah because uh-huh. because like i wish we we talk a lot about comic book movies and about villains be our sort of almost the organizing principle of comic book movies movies that work have great villains you got your thanos um, you got your Kang, even though Ant-Man wasn't great. I think we all, I think Kang's a good future villain here. And in this movie, we have villains that we don't understand. We don't understand what they're doing, why they're there. We get a reveal, but it doesn't, this is what huge question for the movie. What was Anne's power set? How do her powers work? Her power set was totally Wait, straightforward. Did you see Inception, no, dude? I mean, it come was on. Doctor Strange Mirror Dimension was her power. She had yeah. seen the first Doctor Strange. She, she was turn the mirror the world dimension. like That's a Rubik's the stupidest cube. thing you've ever said. Yeah, but exactly. She but had wait, wait. Rubik's cube powers, but with the world. <laughs> yeah, so many questions here. Was she turning the world? Because when she turned the world, it didn't affect the world. It only affected the person. And she could occasionally teleport a person, and the world would move no, around no, them. No, 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 man. Her powers look cool. The end. Exactly. And I think that was a huge problem. That was a cool visual, a time consuming visual where at the end I was like, what? And when she lost her powers, I was like, thank you, because I'm dizzy. Hey, well, she lost her powers. And also, Don't this be is mad another thing at her because like, you're old and you get dizzy because <laughs> things move fast. Sir, like, what the I am fuck, not dude? old. I'm not old. And you're more talking about, about you're dizzy because they changed the worlds around a little bit. And you were like, oh, slow down. I want to get off this movie ride. This roller coaster is <laughs> too crazy. Yeah, this is going too fast for me. I'll also throw out at that moment where she lost her powers. I believe that was the first time in the entire movie. At that point, it was like an hour and a half in where they're like, now we're going into super slow-mo to really emphasize this moment. And I was like, what? You have not used this effect at any point in this movie? movie before and then they used it again like 10 minutes later and then never used it again so to me that points to just a general visual sloppiness in the movie in terms of how they're putting together and pacing it out but here's what i'll say about daughters of atlas that i was thinking about while i was watching the movie is it actually has a very similar problem to what we were talking about with savannah in the first movie where it's 
generously 70% of the way there in terms of tying into the theme where there are these three sisters and they are family and they want to bring their world back and hold on to their old world. Right. They wanted to keep it that way. But then the way that it actually executes is Lucy Liu's character is like, no, I'm going to take this apple and put it here. And Helen Mirren suddenly has a turn. It's like Billy Patson, whatever help you need, I'm happy to help you. And Rachel Ziegler's character and the entire time, like we're talking about, she's like, I'm a regular high school kid for no particular reason. Oh, no, my sister's here. Now I talk in a different accent and I'm a different character. It's not entirely clear why I was doing this thing. So none of those thoughts really connect to each other when feels like they could have pushed it the 20 to 30 percent more to be like billy is trying to hold on to his family and this old life as much as possible they are trying to hold on to their family and their old life as much as possible yeah. and we have these two warring forces but that never comes together in a wait, wait, way wait, wait. first well, off that- wait wait no no first off when it comes to the daughters i thought it was very family representational where it was like if you walk walk up to anybody in a family and ask them what's going on they're going to tell you a completely <laughs> different thing than that, what's actually yeah, happening right. because shouts to that they're just do, using their own baggage to give you a view of the world. And I thought that was uh, very hilariously accurate. I And I agree with you. I wish they had sort of front porched that and made that the movie where it was like we had the Shazamly doing their thing. Uh, and then the daughters where they were at first very austere and very serious gods. But at, behind the scenes, they were messy. Just as and, messy as the, well, and also, know, and it, we almost family. got there with the movie. But. Instead, it felt forced and fake when their family, the daughter's family fell apart because it, it just wasn't. I think they needed to let us behind the scenes there. Give us a little vision. I mean, it was clear Lucy Lou liked riding the dragon and mm-hmm. other people were like, yo, I want to turn. And she was like, I'll murder all of you. I mean, we've all been there with family members. Yes, I I think just to keep following this train of thought that we're going down, I felt for sure when Lucy Liu made that turn, which was kind of set up, but not really set up exactly. But just following from there on where you're like, OK, we're heading to the final battle. We have to have an antagonist. We have an RE monsters, et cetera, et cetera. If you follow the idea of she's saying the opposite of what Billy Batson has been saying the entire movie, all or none. And she's like, no, just me. I'm the one who's going to do it. If you get a battle of the Shazamily finally coming together and being like, yes, Billy, you're our leader. We stand behind you. Let's do this. Let's take her down together. We are a family. She has abandoned her family. That shows the opposite between the hero and the villain. But again, yeah. I know I said no, this before, I- but, but it ends with a one-on-one thing where he sacrifices himself by just shooting you know, yeah, lightning but- out of a dome. No, because it was like Lucy Lou was like she held the stick for a little bit, the talking stick, and she got real excited. <laughs> and then Helen Miller was like, "No, I, you don't, you can't get to talk." And it was like the, you know, it's that thing with the family. It's like if you take that stick for me one more time, I swear to God. And that was it. That was the last time. And then she was going to mm-hmm. turn on her family. You know what I mean? There's it. So let's talk about the production schedule a little bit, because I think this points at least wow. a little bit. Wow. No, no, no. I think this is kind of points to the fact that like why this, at least in part, why this happened the way it did, where the first movie came out, it was a big success the opening weekend or like a surprise success did better than people expected. Yeah. And they right. almost immediately started working on a second movie. And ostensibly part of the reason was, hey, these kids are getting older. Let's do this very quickly. Let's get this movie out there. Um, let's strike while the iron's hot, while people are still excited about it. And that was back in 2019. By the time they started to get things together, COVID hit and they weren't able to shoot it anymore. And the shoot kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And things kept changing in the background in terms of the DC universe, in terms of Warner Brothers, in terms of these kids getting much older, not all to Stranger Things height, but certainly some of them were like, eh, you're a little too old at this point to actually be matching up to this. And by the time they finally got it and shot the thing, then WB and DC were again going through all these changes that we've talked about a lot here on the podcast that eventually led to James Gunn and Peter Safran, who, by the way, was a producer on this movie and the previous movie, taking over DC Studios. And they ended up delaying it even more, almost not 
I don't think it was totally a year, but like a very long time. So this is slightly out of forces, out of its control, but also in some forces in its control. Like they took some extra time to work on the VFX, which still did not look great across the board, but that kind of is what it is. This movie came out at least two years later than it should have, is my point. You know, yeah. That was a long-winded point. I think that, uh, <laughs> first off, the I think the point is the movie was also that way. The yeah. visual effects weren't, there weren't, like, horrible moments that completely pulled you out of the movie. The flying was pretty bad. Like, across the board, the flying was pretty bad. Also, this is not exactly a VFX problem, but why were there two entirely different bridge attack scenes? That was weird. Dude, people love bridge attacks. They do. Well, they love but, uh, bridges. But let me say this, like, because, like, I agree it wasn't – the VFX people get a lot of blame in the superhero movies for, like, it wasn't perfect. I, I think it's more of a writing problem because I think the writing in this movie was messy. Like, the bridge attack in the beginning of the movie was messy because it was like, what's the point of this? Like, they are sort of saving the day, but they're also sort of not doing a good job, and it's sort of just like they're bad well, at saving the day. I mean, it's to kind of show that they're, like – uh, a good team, but they also are kids and don't can exactly save the whole day. They can save part of people's lives, but overall, they're still trying to figure things out. But I walked out of that scene thinking like unclear that. First that was off, the you point. shouldn't have walked out. You're a, no, I walked movie. out of the movie. Yeah, I walked out of the you movie. Got to sit for the whole thing. You know, no, 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 no. Once, once the, first the bridge scene, dies, you're out of there. That's what I stuff. That's not how it works. No, here's how. When I sit in a movie, I'm like, if I don't like this, I'm going to slowly walk out, and wow. then it has to pull me back in, pull me back out. That's how it works. And same with my relationships, and that's why I'm just slowly backing away from the microphone right now. Wow. The, well, it was fun working with you. If we want to pleasure. talk about the bridge thing in particular, uh, like you're saying, other than the sloppy effects, there were two things that jumped out at me about that scene. One, they had uh, David F. Stamberg's wife, who died in the first movie, was back as a lady driving a car. She was the one going off the bridge playing yeah. uh, Hold It Out for a Hero. And I love great setup for a bit there, being like, oh, my fun God, bit. you're playing that yeah. song that's awesome. That scene was not paced to that song at all, like no. I, which I could have forgiven if it was something they added in later. But it was a major feature of the scene and it was just not edited to that. And then beyond that, just talking about textually, like you're saying, them getting blamed for that. The bridge was breaking beforehand for no explicable reason that didn't really tie to the plot. Like, I, I thought it was going to be a Doc Ock and No Way Home thing where the daughters of Atlas were attacking the bridge or something to draw them out. But nope, it was just bad infrastructure on Philadelphia's yeah. part. I mean, think about that. Yeah, that's what they're really talking about. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Well, Philadelphia is the Ben Franklin Bridge, which connects to Jersey. And I think Philadelphia was like, fuck that state. Yeah. Let's cut this bridge off. <laughs> and the Shazam way is like coming in there and trying to fix yeah, it. It's used to live in Philly, right? Like oh, every yeah, couple man. of months they blow all the bridges. Well, it's one of those things where if you leave to go to Jersey, you want to come. It's five bucks, man. Well, let me say, bucks. if the Phillies lose, they blow up the bridges, though, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what happens. That's right? I mean, I would like to talk about the fact that, like, they did use some cool Philly landmarks in there, which was nice. I know it was also peppered in with some places that clearly weren't Philly, but. Uh, I also enjoyed the fact that he set up some nice cheesesteaks for Helen Merrim to be like, hey, let's talk this out. And I got to ask you about that. Heart. Hold on. I got to ask those. you about that, Pete, because first of all, I should have checked this, I guess. Was that a real cheesesteak place? I don't think so. No. I don't think so either. How no. do you set a There's thing no in Philly and like – Philly that famously they didn't pick a team. That's it's kind of no, smart to be like is, instead of saying Max's or instead of going with like Philly Gino's or something. Famous they for fighting about place. who has the best cheesesteaks. That they're like, here's a what clearly is like a fast food cheesesteak place. Terrible. Yeah. Also, they, there's the way they sat that down. That was like a hot dog joint in Vancouver or something. Like, there's <laughs> clearly was not a Philly. And then that and was, was followed like, up by the most uncomfortable scene great, of the movie, though. where Zachary Levi's proceeded to repeatedly body slam Helen Mirren on yeah. the floor. I I got so uncomfortable watching that when that happened. Like, I understand she's a super being, but him being like lifting her over, over his head and being like, oh, you like, Helen Mirren. 
Yeah. Shouts so, to Helen for doing this role because, like, she was in it. She had why to do the wouldn't most. You do this role? This is she, fun. But she she had to do the most like high octane melodramatic acting, and then she had to get beat up the most. And then she do had you to think her and tables. argued over which one would took what. They were like, no, 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 you take this part. No, 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 I no, don't want. That's this definitely part. not how casting works. But Lucy Liu <laughs> got to ho- hover above it all and be like, I'm just sort of bad the whole time. Well, Helen Mirren had to be like, yeah, I'll get wrecked and then be a. And then be a good guy for a second. Like, it was just a mess. Well, I like, mean, I can't on. imagine. If you get shot and you could get saved, you're going to maybe, you know, have a change of heart. I can't imagine just dropping that language on Mirror and like, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to have to say all this stuff, get beat up, and then eventually be like, I love you, Shazam, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how she's hey, a dude, hardcore the, actor. Dude, and you have get, to say that When you get close to the end, maybe you, you got to change your heart, man. Jesus. Wait, dark you saying she's old? You saying <laughs> no, the end of her life? I'm saying once you get, after you get shot, maybe you're like, hey, I'm oh, making okay, some bad choices. Yeah, They she, didn't actually shoot her for the movie, though. No, they shot the body slamming scenes last, last because she died after that. Oh, my <laughs> God. I do have one more question. Not to stay on this cheesesteak scene, but in this scene, they have a joke where Shazam is like, if there's one thing I've learned from the Fast and the Furious movies, it's you can always count on family. family. Now, Helen Mirren was in the Fast and the Furious movie. She's yeah. been in a couple of them. Is Helen Mirren the actress in Fast and the Furious in the DC Extended Universe, and there just happens to be a goddess who looks like her? Or is the Fast yes. and the Furious series entirely different somehow in the universe? That Shazam exists. Yeah, is her character in Fast in F eight Hespera, the <laughs> goddess of uh, the daughter of Atlas? I mean, she was also in Hobbs and Shaw, uh, and she wasn't wearing that uh, sweet visor. So, I mean, I think uh, the answer is yes, and then sometimes no. <laughs> that's a that, honestly, that's probably the right answer. So, yeah, that's the correct. Thank answer. you uh, for keeping us honest, Pete. Here's one thing that I did like about the movie, which is the other thing that I really liked about the first movie is Darla. Do you want to talk about Darla, Pete? I, mean, I can hold on. on to my point if you're bursting at the seams to talk no, about Darla. No, yeah, it seemed like you were going to say something positive. So, yeah, I was. I was going to talk about Jack Dylan Grazer as Freddie, who I think is yes. great. Like he yes. has very funny, has good comedic timing. He had of all of the kids, and I'd include Billy Batson, probably the most complete Death. emotional arc over the course of it. Um, got to be a hero. His chemistry with Rachel Ziegler was yeah, good. Yeah, that whole hero tap was really fun. And sweet. And so he came out of the movie blameless, I think. (laughs) (laughs) What a what a compliment. That's just as good as an Oscar. Uh the Blameless Awards. I do think the scene when he is fighting down the fear dragon, and they do Mm -hmm. a good job of setting up the dragon as like capitalized on fear. Right. Uh Freddie being someone who's conquered his fears because he's been bullied relentlessly his whole life. And while the earlier scenes between he and Anne are like so schlocky teen stuff, it still worked emotionally for me when he does face down that sort of fear fire and comes to Anne's aid. And it like the even that emotion, the relationship when they were sitting together and held hands at the end of the movie, I was like, I'm here for it. And that is not easy, given the material that they were starting with. So shouts Wait, him. can I mention one I thing agree, real quick? Justin, just on it was the- very, uh, it was a transcendent hookup that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are shipping right now. He's into older women. I don't know about a lot of people, but Alex. That was a saying? fun moment. Yeah. Mom was like, what's with our kids and older ladies? Good yeah, joke. Older women. Cute joke. I do want to throw out one thing just before I forget, and then I'll get back to positive things that I was going to say. But the that scene, when they're holding hands, they're like, and what are you going to do now? And she's like, well, I think maybe I'm going to explore your world. And then five minutes later, when the wizard comes in, they're like, what are you going to do now? And he's like, well, I think I'm going to explore your world. And I was like, you didn't write another lot. Like you just yeah. said that line. It was right. so weird. I have a lot of questions about the wizard's look when he comes in. Like, was he on uh, Project Runway briefly? Or did he, like, what's he coming in with? I like, mean, think about it. If you're sick. a wizard trapped in a cave, where are you going to go first? Project Runway. Well, and, you let, me throw this, let me throw this out across the board. The wizard ended up having sort of a larger role in this movie. Yes. I wish they gave him some character. 
Instead, he was this weirdo the whole time who just said random stuff. And I think that a huge opportunity. His head on one woman's body was hysterical. I mean, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. How long are we going to go without talking about how much fun that was? Talk about that in a second. But like, if they had given the wizard uh, some sort of childlike. Because that we've set up this idea that like the Shazam and the rest of his family are kids in superhero bodies, the wizard, millennia old. If he also acts like a child, then everything sort of rhymes, and they were almost there with the way he was behaving, and he can still be cool. That mock voice that was hysterical. But for him to be out of touch and childlike in the way that in out of his element, I thought would have been such a funny choice. Would have added so much comedically to a movie for a character who didn't do much. He's been just in jail. How, what do you... What do you yeah, but the, give him something because he ended up just being there and occasionally being like, yeah, to get that staff. And it's like, yeah, we know. There wasn't the there wasn't a consistency to his character. Jaiman Hansu, yeah. great actor. Amazing does a great actor. job, again, with Everything what he's Everything he does, glorious. But the fact that, like, and maybe this is, I don't know if this is exactly what you're talking about, Justin, but that they start off at a place where he is the very deathly serious wizard from the first movie. First which, movie, yeah. Asterisk, how did he come back? Did they explain that at any point? Did I not don't think so. I don't no, think apparently so. Apparently, if you're a wizard and then you die, you go to jail. They really skipped over that part. They were, <laughs> they were like, we wanted him back, so he was back. But he's very, very serious up until he encounters Freddy, and then suddenly he's a sarcastic quip machine, which, yeah. mind you, they had good chemistry together. They played off of each other well, but I was thrown by the fact that he went from shouting at Billy Batson to then later on being like, Billy, based on nothing, you are the greatest hero of our age, and I chose you wisely, despite the uh, fact that you screwed on, up everything at this point. You're doing really great. And giving him this like pump-up speech, when in the middle part of the movie, he's all like, joke, 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 joke. It, it didn't connect at all. Yeah, agreed. They could have made him funny throughout with no loss to the, the rest of the story. I I, th- I I disagree. I thought that the the part where, you know, he kind of like pumped up Billy because of the fact that he believed in what he was and what's he, he what he's Billy believed. Yeah, he believed in him. <laughs> well, let's talk about Billy and he went for to a second because for the son that he never had. Mm-hmm. We have now taken half an hour of the podcast and not talked about the main character of the movie too much. Um, we've been talking about all the other characters. Uh, Darla. Go ahead. Talk about Darla, Pete. No, no, no. You're going to. Oh, OK. All right. I was going to talk about Billy. I was going to talk about the two Billies. We get a lot more Zachary Levi in this movie, which sucks. I think we can all Bummer. agree on that. Asher Angel gets a much more downsized role. And I got to say. He's very strong as an actor. Zachary Levi's performance and Asher Angel's performance, no connection. None. Yeah. No, I could not make any connection whatsoever between those characters. Like, I could sort of mentally stretch it a little bit in the first movie by him being like, I'm excited about being a superhero. Isn't this cool? Oh, my God, I got all these powers. But here, it was Zachary Levi doing a Zachary Levi thing and Asher Angel being like, Kind of playing Billy Batson from the comics a little more, I felt, just in terms of being a little more earnest, a little more straightforward, having a little more emotion to him. But we didn't get to see him at all in the movie. Well, I think they used him differently. Like in the first movie, he was he was the person that we moved through to get to Shazam. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, Shazam was the person and we touch on – um, Billy Which, for the emotional moments and and but like I think that's a waste of Billy a little bit because to put all of the like big emotional heartfelt moments on a kid to just react in the moment is unfair especially because it felt like Zachary Levi in the Shazam role couldn't carry those moments and was basically doing his like I'm sort of telling jokes the whole time of the movie but it does make sense for the character because if you're Billy Batson you're not going to be yourself. You're going to be Sujam as much as possible because he's the invincible one. He is the strong one. So I thought it kind of worked in that aspect. Did I want more of the younger kid actor versus Zachary Levi? Sure, maybe. But I understood the impetus behind it. I understood the choices that kind of got us what we got. And even if it was less, it was still more because... 
the kid delivered on some really beautiful moments. And uh, it was when the mom asked for him, you know, I clutched my pearls. I was like, oh, God, oh, that, I'm going to get. Yeah. And again, that moment was fantastic. I do wonder, though, and this is a very typical thing for second superhero movies. So I wonder if they were resisting this at all. I feel like it would have tied into the overall theme of the movie that they were making gestures towards, at least, if he was the one who lost his powers, not everybody else. Because everybody else, mind you, it affects Freddy because Freddy, they sort of like played that out with his arc a bit in terms of him not getting to be Captain Every Power anymore, um, at least for a good chunk of the movie. But if Billy had to face down being like, wait, everybody else has their powers and they're going to do stuff. I'm a regular human. I don't have it. What do I do here? How do I lead them? That's how you find that true power inside. That's how you become that hero inside. And then you get that moment where the wizard is like, no, Billy, you have a, you were the right hero. I chose right. Say the word, say my name. And then he changes it to Shazam and then he saves the day. You know, there's, I don't know. It felt missing a little bit. Well, and I think that's, that's such an interesting point because it's like, what if you, what if you give Billy Freddy's arc mm-hmm. for the movie where Billy meets Anne and they have a connection and it's about him doing that. And I get why it's Freddy, maybe from an actor point of view and just to make sure Freddy, who was a major character in the first movie has that arc. But just from a pure Shazam storytelling point of view, it sort of makes more sense if Billy's that character and he learns how to be a hero in relation to Anne and faces down his fears. And then he gets to rise up at the end and save the day while his family is also doing the other work that they do in the current cut of the movie. I wonder if uh, this is complete speculation, but I wonder if it is like you're saying an actor thing behind the scenes where they were like, we've got to have more Zachary Levi. Everybody loves Zachary Levi. Shazam got to put him on screen more. And Jack Dylan Grazer, great actor. We got to have more of him as well. So how do we do that? That, and that's the reason they split it up. I mean, I I wonder if because DC made this big announcement that like we're going to have strips and we're going to do stuff. I wonder if they shot this with like everybody got arcs and chunks and then they added it in kind of like they cut everything down, you know. Well, I mean, it does seem like there was a over jammed script and there given the stuff we're going to talk about a little bit about Mr. Mind. I felt like there was a whole nother script that was about Mr. Mind and Savannah being the villains and the main villains. And we have this other script. So I think there's a lot of iterations of this movie, potentially either on the page or on the screen that they ended up cutting down. But imagine if we had that sort of Billy Batson focused story and we flip it and we have Adam Brody playing the sort of has to jump up into the Shazam role and be the sort of head of the family when he's not ready for it. That's a dichotomy that I feel like could have been the rallying point of the movie. And -hmm. instead they flip it and that leaves Shazam, Zachary Levi Shazam without a lot to do, sort of hovering there and waiting for stuff to happen to him for the movie while the emotional arc was on Freddy the whole time. What did you guys think about the kind of like continuation of these uh, you know, Snyder verse where it was like, all right, we got to have a weird dream moment where all of well, a sudden it's all right. Do, do we want to jump into that? Because like I said at the beginning, that's sort of the whole point of this podcast is to talk about kicking off the gun stuff. And yeah. James Gunn, when he was introducing a slate, he was like, oh, Shazam's kind of off to the side doing its own thing. We're not even worried about that. And then later on, Peter Safran came out and said, yeah, we'll see how Shazam does. And maybe we'll continue Zachary Levi if it does really well. And the response is good as Shazam. Uh, This is straight up a DCEU movie. Like, I know that's not exactly what you were talking about, Pete, but to the point that Wonder Woman incongruously shows up at the end of the movie to save the day and bring Shazam back to life. They're talking about Batman and Superman all the time. There's a end credit scene that, by the way, was supposed to tie into Justice Society. They were supposed to have the Justice Society from Black Adam show up, uh, but they were not available. So instead, at the last second, they got two folks from Peacemaker. But again, it's like very heavily entrenched in the DCEU. There's also that thing at the beginning where he's at the pediatricians and he's talking about Aquaman and the Flash and all of these characters. So that's kind of why I said at the beginning, it's a lame duck. Like, I don't see a way they can continue this in any fashion. 
lame duck is a great way of describing this movie because I think, and, and I say that I, in, in the political term where it's like, it's not to say this movie doesn't have quality. Yeah, and, and if also, you're a fan of it, for all the ducks out there, you're not lame, you know, just because yeah, Justin shouts to the, our duck fans, right, quack, quack, quack all day. can still be delicious. They can still be delicious. You put a little orange oh, sauce on, on them. Man. Doesn't yeah. matter whether uh, they're lame or not. You know what I'm talking get about. Get that orange duck confit shit going. But what I what I think lame duck is it's a, a something that was has lost its power uh, without to its without ble- being blamed for it because the the DC universe is moving past this movie. The Justice Society stuff I think is going to go away. Even Wonder Woman appearing here is sort of like oh she's not part of the future by uh, DC's own admission so it makes sense that she does show up in the end as a big uh, reveal it felt like that was shot with the idea like look she's here that must mean this is important but now it's like oh no she's not important uh, anymore that's so sad. that's bad for the future yeah. of this movie um, and even the Justice Society post credit thing is sort of like ah, I don't I don't think they're. Going I do that love way. that bit though, where he's like, she says justice, and he's like, I'm in, and then it's not Justice League. <laughs> so two fun. things that I'll mention: there's a bunch of fun like bit. behind the scenes things that I'll mention that I thought were kind of interesting about this in terms of how they had to like pivot and change, which is very surprising. I mean, you'd expect, hey, it's all Warner Brothers Productions. It's all one big family. You could just have, make these things happen, but you can't. For example, that post credit scene, they were expecting. So basically, they had the spot in the woods where they could shoot. And they were like, this is stupid. It just looks like a spot of the woods. Let's build something there. So they built an entire gas station. And they were supposed to have the members of the Justice Society from Black Adam show up. And then the schedule didn't work out. And they were like, shoot, we have this built. We only have like a day or two. And this was, mind you, years ago, apparently, they did this when they shot this. Like, this was not a last second thing. And they're like, OK, we can get these two guys from Peacemaker. Let's quickly write a scene for them and shoot a scene for them and let's go. Does it make sense that they're asking him to be in the Justice Society? Probably not, but let's do it anyway. So they did that. The other thing that I was going to mention in terms of the Wonder Woman thing, there's a little bit of a scuff up online, to put it lightly, about this this past weekend, but Gail Gadot was not actually there on set when they yeah. shot that. The way that... It, it, Obvious in the movie, if I may yeah. say, from... A, I mean, I, I have a little bit more of an eye from working in production, but I was like, yo, she's... That shoulder, that Shazam shoulder in her shot, I was like, no way she was on set. Yeah, but it was also kind of like an inside joke because they already did that with the wizard mm-hmm. where they put somebody's head on somebody else's body. So it was almost like, you know, they were uh, kind totally, of... Like, uh, no, no, no. Uh, to be clear, like in terms of that bit, playing off against the headless Henry Cavill from the first movie doing a bit where he goes on a dream date with Wonder Woman. You don't get to see her head. You're like, oh, they're doing this again. And then it's the wizard's head. Fun. And then then they play that end. Yes. And fun with the Wonder Woman thing where they zoom up, they go to her neck and you're like, God damn it, they're going to do it again. And then they go up and it was Gal Gadot. And I'll tell you, the five guys in the back of the theater who kept shouting Shazam, very excited about it. They were, they were, and that was, that's a good setup punchline situation that they played out well. I thought that was fun. I think so too. But the way that they shot it, which I don't blame them, I just think this is kind of interesting. They shot it with a stunt double on stage wearing the Wonder Woman costume. And then later on, the director directed Gal Gadot over Zoom on a stage to essentially reproduce those movements. So I think they did a good job. But if you watch yeah. the scene over again, it is interesting to see how see like, it. yeah, you can see how nobody's actually interacting with her. The only time you see her in a shot with them, it's either like you're saying over the shoulder or the thing where she plants the staff is right over her head and you can't actually see the face. So yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Well, and that's just, just production background. But I mean, the fact, I think they worked that well into the story. If, we were in a different world where justice society was going forward and they're going to be more wonder woman movies. I think this would play a lot better and it would be like, Oh, this is being woven in, but we're in a world where the entire creative team has changed. Black Adam was a failure at the box office. So this whole universe is a little bit burnt in general. Well, regardless of that, I do want to say that like having the bit, where Wonder Woman doesn't show up when you want her to show up and then shows up at the end was just such a, like, 
great kind of like, hey, we mess with you, but we're going to give it to you kind of moment. I agree, except for the fact, and this is maybe more on me than it is on the movie, though I'm going to put it on the movie, when she was like, there is one God left. I had to rack my brains as like, who? What? She's a God? Yeah. This continuity? What's going on here? It's been a couple of years since I've seen the movie. Calabac? <laughs> huh? And she is uh, half Zeus. That was established in Wonder Woman. Um, so we do get that. But it... It literally feels like a Deus Ex Machina showing up there. Where that's literally a definition of Deus yes, Ex Machina. Definition by the way. of it, <laughs> and also the fact that like the daughters of Atlas, the entire time were like, "We got to get this apple. We got to plant it here in our realm and bring our realm back to life." And the Shazam family is trying to stop them the entire time. At the end, Wonder Woman is like. I planted this seed. Now the realm has come back to life. Isn't that nice? They're like, yeah, that is nice. That sounds good. Is weird. That's all. It is weird. And it, no, that you shouldn't have planted the seed because it was not meant for this world. So that's why we got all those monsters and shit. But then Wonder Woman stopped all that. I was like, all right. I'm no, no, no. Like, they were in the God this. realm. That's where they were burying they, Billy. They buried yeah. Billy in like. Dust, the God it's like a yeah, weird, yeah, yeah. dusty yeah. grave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like an old cowboy grave. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was like they buried him one and inch under the like ground a little, in the like desert. Sand. Yeah, like a little. Yeah, like they couldn't bury him, so they just yeah. piled dirt on top. And then did I did like, like the zombie bit. I thought the zombie bit was good. Him staying. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was fun. Here for it. Uh, if, I, if you're going to do that, you got to do a zombie bit. Can I mention, though, my favorite part of the movie, which I think, based on our discussions, it already sounds like at least one person absolutely hated this. My absolute favorite part of the movie, the part of the movie that I unequivocally liked, was the end credit scene with Mr. Bond and Savannah. <laughs> because what? Because it was a joke? Because it was because a weird... It is- it is so for those who haven't seen it, although I'm assuming most of you have in the first movie, we get Savannah is in jail. He's scribbling things on the wall. He's trying to get back to the rock of eternity and he right. just can't do it anymore. He doesn't have the magic. And then Mr. Mind, this worm creature who escaped from rock of eternity comes in and is like, we're going to team up. We're going to take down Shazab. Oh, the things that we're going to do together. And they both start laughing. So like Justin was saying, the assumption was that the next movie was going to be Savannah and Mr. Mind. And in fact, they wrote an entire script. That's what yeah. it was supposed to be. But then they felt like we just wrote the first movie, but bigger. That's all we did. Why don't we change it? And took them out of the script. I think they were also supposed to be like a secondary plot line at some point. So they pulled that out as well. I think the idea was that Mr. Mind is the one that opened the door for the daughters of Atlas to come mm-hmm. through. Okay. Mm-hmm. There that was go. the original idea. So they don't have that obviously. And then we get this end credit scene where Savannah two years later in the timeline now has a very beautiful beard and Mr. Bide come back. He's very angry. And it was like, where were you? And he's like, Oh, you don't understand. I'm a worm and it takes me a while to get places. Uh, but whatever, I have these incredible plans and we're going to get to them and you're going to love what I'm going to tell you. And Savannah's like, yes, yes. Tell me everything. And he's like, but first I have one thing to do and leaves. Just the whole bit of like never getting to it, I thought is so yeah. funny and they're never going to do this. But my main impression was like, I didn't like this movie. I want them to make 31 more Suzanne movies where they have this at the end of every credits and they never get to it. Well, but that that's a good sketch writer shit right there where you're yeah. just like, yeah, keep playing this game. It's such a very specific thing to like about. I cannot believe that. I want every, part. they got to put this at the end of the flash they got to cut back wow. to it at the end I was of say, Su- it would be superman awesome legacy if they did. it would superman be amazing if they, and we just mark got strong like just bring bit. mark strong back every two years to oh film this God. just get, getting more and more annoyed at this worm hey. yes yes well, i thought it was my time <laughs> the only time we see him is in post that would be amazing i love ah. it so good it would be so uh, great agreed that was fun <laughs> Yes, uh, yeah, I mean, but you didn't like we, it. We and, all agreed and, on something. And yeah, and I, and I get it. Like, I get it textually. So talk about it, Justin, your problems with that existing. With Mr. Mind stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, I, I mean, I think it just points to what I was saying earlier, where it's like, this movie's messy. And like, mm-hmm. we spend so much time on the Daughters of Atlas. We have the Mr. Mind thing at the end. It's like, I, I would have been happier with a more focused movie if Mr. Mind was the villain that was about this family sort of being trying to be a family while also trying to do their superhero business. 
or getting into all the doors. They we had a little bit of gesturing to the yeah, possibility fun. of the doors in the Rock of Eternity. I love the way they tricked out the lair for this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought was, that was really cool. And they used the doors a little bit. It could have been an easy sort of fantastical story of them going into a door, making a mistake, and having that intercede into their world. And them having to fix it as a family versus you wanted a the, Monsters Inc. movie is what you said. You wanted I, I well, wanted I, I, I wanted I a think, simple movie. I think, Pete. I know you're joking here, but they literally set up a Monsters Inc. type situation they yeah. where they come in. They have that great line where they get to the doors. They need to go through them to look through all the doors. And they're like, well, this was inevitable. And I'm like, great. That's great. We're getting to the doors thing. And then they didn't really do it. Like they backed off of it. They went into. They, they just go to Book World, and there's a talking pen that yeah. shows up a bunch. Steve! And they so much time. Steve the Steve talking pen. Great. And Steve was great. Steve It's fun. It's funny. Like, the reading the letter, when Helen when Mirren's he reading shrugged. the letter. When Helen Mirren's reading the letter. <laughs> oh, my that's, God, yeah. I, that was a good bit. That was a good. It was a really fun. Yeah, little the sketch in the movie. Also a very good bit. Yes, that like, also was a great bit. There's some good bits throughout the movie, but. It's like you're saying, Justin, I didn't find it comediately consistent, consistently no, it was funny. Mess- Again, yeah. messy. Like there were a lot of bad jokes that didn't work. And I don't want to fully be mad at Zachary Levi, but he can't. He's good at giving quick response jokes. But if it's like a joke that is like a setup punchline or like there's a more meaningful punchline here, he's not good. He's good at just fast responses. Mm-hmm. And so when you rely on him to really land a lot of comedic material, I think he's not great at it. But the the more scenic jokes or the more premisey jokes, like the letter we're just talking about, I thought landed. And there was some fun stuff there. So, it again, a simpler movie would have given them more, plot-wise, would have given them more time to focus on the comedy and done something that we've been, I think, waiting for desperately in the superhero space, a truly funny Superhero movie. We haven't uh, I, seen I'm it. I'm glad you brought up that letter moment because also Megan Good was really funny as being the other version of Darla. Darla. Yeah, Darla. And uh, also wow, just way to sneak up on Darla, by the way. And then, <laughs> you know, just being excited about the fact that the letter transforms into a bird that then flies to the person to deliver it was such a fun Darla moment. You Megan Good birds. was great. I thought she was really great in the movie. Yes. She also didn't get much of an arc other than like being really Jokes. into Skittles and then She's ultimately Darla, Darla yeah. you know, also like Skittles, but oh, and unicorns. She likes Skittles and unicorns and kittens. Uh, stealing the kitten from the bridge that was oh. a fun bit as well. But um, yeah, then realizing she had to bring it back was nice. But like in terms of the lightness of the arcs, Pedro's arc of being <laughs> like. Looking at a hot ball player and then saying I'm gay and everybody saying I know and I'd be like okay. It's just, there's nothing there. That's no. all. I mean, Weird. I felt his relief when he, like, when he was like, oh, you guys know and it's okay. Like, that moment was nice, but how they got there I just was... don't understand when, and I know they have a lot of characters that they're balancing. They've got the adult characters. They've got the young characters. They've got the villains. They've got the parents. They've got so many things going on in this movie. But I don't understand when you're, like, you're mapping it out on the board where you're like, Okay, here's what we're going to do. Pedro is gay and doesn't tell anybody. And then our second note for Pedro is he tells everybody he's gay. Exactly. Like they clap each other on the back and they're like, let's take lunch. That's what I'm saying. There were like truly three story points for Pedro. The two you said in the one moment where they cut to him and he's like, I lost my powers in this fight. (laughs) And you guys aren't mad about it. And it was just like it it feels out of balance when you try to make – have him have an arc when you haven't actually given him the time in the movie to have an arc. Like yeah. you got to give him the time to do that. I mean, it was like kind of this interesting idea of like trying to be brave when you don't have the powers. And also you kind of like turn to them and they're like, no, no, I'm, I'm out. Like I got hit in dodgeball. I suck at dodging. So I'm first one out. Like it was Funny. like, yeah. Like well, that. and we haven't even mentioned Eugene, who is one of the other characters who is there and does stuff. And I I think this points to a problem we were talking about with the first movie. Specifically, we talked about it with the seven deadly sins that they were all, for the most part, monster 
you know, and that was it. Yeah. Like there, there wasn't any differentiation. It feels like they brought the same thing to the Shazam family here. They had very sketchy arcs in the first movie, but you felt like now that they're established, you could expand them more. Instead, they all have the same powers and they all have the same specialties. And that stood out to me in particular in the discussion they were having about the wisdom of Solomon, where yeah. he keeps saying Solomon wrong, which was a dumb was bit. Fun. He would know how to pronounce it. It reminded me a lot of what was that Doctor Strange thing from Multiverse of Madness where he was like, oh, the where he's like the Illuminati, which ranks so false because, of course, Doctor Strange would know that. I hated that. Of course, you know that word. It's the same thing with he would know the word Solomon just by like playing video games or something. It's a word people use. Well, and there was a lot of like the thing of Shazam not having a name also bothered me over the course of the movie and all the like different every power all that stuff i was like well, it was this a, is an annoying I, people got to yell captain marvel and different it was kind of that like was, by the way that was the out. dude who played billy from the old tv show i'm forgetting the name of it it's like the shazam and isis hour or something like that because uh-huh. you could tell because he was wearing a red t-shirt with a yellow uh, and was old, was and also was very old, old. Was very and old. was oddly old in this movie. Yes. Oh, but what hey, I was going to say about God, the Wisdom of Solomon thing is like, that's a perfect time to be like, hey, wait, our, these different things, these seven different things, they split up between us. We all are slightly stronger in these things. And Mary, who seems to be the brains of the operation, clearly got the Wisdom of Solomon. Like, she is the one who's strongest in it. Oh, really? But instead, no, no, no. I'm saying, like, that's a thing I they could have done. Instead, everybody is sitting there doing the same amount of research with the same amount of knowledge and throwing things out. It, it's very sane. Well, let me throw this out. What if you had a movie where the Shazamly are fighting amongst themselves. Then you have factions. That's well, what that's kids the do. Three daughters. That's what basically what we got with the villains. Yeah, I know, but those are all a bunch of extra characters we had to establish. And then we didn't get to see them develop. And then they're gone essentially, except for Anne, who's just hanging out. You could have had a story where one character, Anne introduces something, breaks the Shazamly apart, which is what was sort of happening in the movie. Anyway, they fight and they have to get back together to solve something that is, you know, part is, is the story. Instead, the movie was just, I mean, this is my general takeaway, overly complex, overstuffed. And we end up not enjoying so many of these elements that I think are there. So many of the actors I think we like. So much of the, like, we like these superhero characters. We like a lot of the the things that are happening. We like a dragon showing up. But it ends up being just messy and we can't enjoy it. Okay. I mean, sure, maybe. But let's talk about the real thing. All right. How happy would you be? Yeah. If you reached into your pocket and someone put Skittles in your pocket because you were having a tough day. I mean, that's the greatest thing you can do for somebody. I don't know. I'm going to note that for I'm going to note that for my future interactions with you. Okay, great. Uh, any other no- notes about the movie? Any other scenes you want to call out? Pete, anything else you liked in particular? Yeah, I just thought the the whole kind of setting up the Darla arc, and I'm glad the whole thing, <laughs> the, the Skittles arc. were kind of set up uh, to pay off. And the That's fact a Skittles that- arc. That's a Skittles arc, not that Darla arc. (laughs) No, the fact that Darla loves animals and was all about kittens and then, of course, was Mm -hmm. like, unicorns are the answer. So I thought that was a very fun kid thing, a way to kind of get out of this because uh, those unicorns look scary, but not to Darla, man. You know what I mean? She sees hearts. She doesn't see, you know, shapes. So it was just, uh, it was beautiful. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I forgot that they established she's shape-blood. Yep. Yeah. Which is just called regular blind, I think. Yeah, I think that's vaguely blind. <laughs> um, I mean, I want to uh, shout to all of the mythological animals or yeah, beasts that, that come out. Yeah, was see. The Cyclops and stuff. Yeah, the Cyclops. You got to see the Manticore. You got to see some harpies uh, shooting around. Yeah. Uh, Minotaur. Like, very fun. The fact that they kept that on that. I wish we got to see more of that or that was a larger part of the story. Um. I think the, the dad saying the battle wagon was a fun moment. Well, I was going to say the mom and dad, like the mom had just 
maybe the emotional core of the movie for someone who's on screen for a total of like six and a half minutes, but she still is able to deliver on that and connect with, uh, with the, with Billy, uh, as a character. I thought that was great. The dad is fun. Was it though? They were able to really land a lot of the comedy and in a way where it's like, you're so on the side of this story, yet you're doing so much more work. So I would say shouts to them. I'll give a shout out to something that I didn't think actually panned out completely well in the movie, but I like anyway. Gail Simone, who is a pretty famous comic book writer, had this great thread yeah, on Twitter is. where she was talking about how she was emotionally affected by the movie and how she was connecting with it. But one of the things she talked about is that this is one of the few superhero movies where it's not characters who are billionaire. They're struggling with money. They're, you know, middle to lower class. That's something that affects them in certain ways. And I really liked that idea. And I really liked how she was putting it out there. I thought that was a very smart comment. It's something that I wish had played in a little bit more because like, I love the idea that we find out the parents have finally bought their house and only to have (laughs) it wrecked. Oh, that was that it, it's it a tough moment. It's a tough moment. Especially to older people, because I was like, oh, you just bought it. I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah no, and, and it's a bummer. That. It doesn't yeah. really seem to affect them negatively too much because they have the house and they're rebuilding. And there were so many other things happening. And there yeah. are so many other things happening. But I think there's like, again, like we're talking about, there's the bones of things that are there that are really good about this franchise and about this movie. But I just don't think it gelled together. Well, and I think on that, if they had folk really focused in that on that and superheroics as their sort of family business and what that would mean for them, where they're like, they don't have a lot of money. How do we make money? We're all superheroes. Do we tell our parents? How do we deal with this? Like I thought could have been fantastic as a driving story for the whole movie. I want to say one other thing, Alex, I think it's so funny. You talk about how the first movie scared your kids so much when you showed, when you watched it with them and you didn't bring them to this movie. And in this movie watching it, they, it was like this movie for kids. It's fun. It's funny. And then they have that moment where that teacher is walked off of the top oh, of the oh screen. My God. Yeah. I was Deirdre like, Bear. Oh, <laughs> an actor we know. Yeah. Yeah. And love. Unnecessary. 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 At all. Yeah. That was a cold. Yeah. There's moment. a couple of things like that. Like that. And it's kind of a funny moment, but like the unicorn completely impaling the Cyclops as it's oh, running. Yeah. yeah. There's things that go like a little too far with the violence and the reality of it, which is weird. But when we saw Diedrich Baker as like, oh, he's a fun teacher who likes Freddy because he identifies with him. And then truly, six minutes later, he he walks off the roof. And they make a joke like, about his body exploding as he lands. It's horrifying. Horrifying. I, I just so. think maybe if you lower your expectations for the movie and maybe aren't so dead inside, you can have some fun. Well, let me throw out there. Oh, they were this. already at rock bottom. Yeah. Uh, Going like this movie is a lame duck. It's a little bit of a burnt situation for uh, going forward into the DC universe. Is this the last DC movie of this style? This feels very much in the uh, style of Ant-Man Quantumania where it's like, oh, an overly DC style. This is the fun DC movie. Well, but let me say, this is a movie that's overly bloated, that's like was messily made, was probably shot completely sort of out of order and like, oh, let's pick up this scene, let's pick up this scene. Similar to, I think, how Ant-Man Quantumania was made. Is this the last movie like this we're going to see? Well, I do. uh, This is like a little bit of a side answer to this question, but I think given how badly this movie has underperformed and how badly Quantumania has underperformed. There's a lot of discussion about is the shine off of superhero movies. And I think the answer is yes. People are not automatically going to see it just because it's a new superhero movie in theaters opening weekend. They don't feel the necessity. Will there be superhero movies that still draw in people? Absolutely. Just like any other sort of movie, like they're not dead or anything, but this in particular talking about the DC stuff 
even though it's not them and they could say it's not them, this puts more pressure on James Gunn and Peter Safran to deliver when it finally gets to their time. And obviously we don't know what's going to happen with The Flash. We don't know what's going to happen with Blue Beetle or Aquaman 2 or anything like that. But even if, let's say those movies like all of those movies underperform, it's only gets them so far in terms of being like, no, we weren't involved in that. That wasn't us. That wasn't us. Because if you get an entire year of bombs, they have to over deliver with that first movie that they come out with way more than they have to right now. I don't know that they all will. Like we talked about this before, but Aquaman is the biggest success I think that DC has had. So even if Aquaman 2 is absolutely trash, it still may do fine. The Flash, there seems to be a lot of hype on. The Blue Beetle, maybe they didn't want to spend a lot of money. But I do think, like, in particular, Shazam 2 giving a sour taste at the box office and also to critics and also to not all fans, but some fans definitely makes that job of winning people back harder because frankly, as deep as we are in the world, most people are like, just you ask a regular person on the street, they're not going to be like, well, Shazam 2 is not part of the new James Gunn DC continuity. So I'm waiting for that. Like they don't care. It's just superhero movies. Well, but I think it's a shame for them that this movie came out at this much more dire time. This movie was made in a time where it was like, yeah, we're just keep making superhero movies. And then it's coming out of time where the stakes are way higher than they anticipated. And that's unfortunate for them. However, I think the flash movie, the state, everyone knows the stakes are high on that. The same way everyone knew the stakes are high for Quantumania, and Quantumania failed. So it's on flash. If flash can deliver, then I think DC steps up into a place that they they may be. There's going to be a ton of articles about how take they are in, easy, in the take it easy with all it, that. It, no, seriously, we haven't, it, we haven't even gotten there yet. And you're already well, I know we're not there yet, but let me just say, I mean, obviously, Guardians Three is coming, and that's going to be a hit. I think unequivocally. I agree. It's but last if time Flash we'll hits as well, if Flash hits as well, we're in a good place where things are operating, as opposed to right now where it's like, oh, another bummer. Well, and also I'll throw out there in a weird way, if Guardians 3 hits, that's also a plus because it's a James Gunn movie. Like people that's, see it as a Marvel movie, <laughs> but it's written directed by James Gunn. It's in his style. So people are going to be much more emboldened to be like, OK, feeling good about his DC slate now. Well, and James Gunn is like, I made Guardians and I back Flash to the bone. He's like, this is the best superhero movie I've ever seen. It's like, yo. You made a bunch of them. What are we doing here? You're doing the two competing <laughs> movies at the same time? Okay, dude. We ride with you. And that's good, but it's also dangerous. Stakes yeah. are high. The stakes are very high. For daddy. Going, for daddy. For, for whoever. Dad. For dad. For yeah, sorry, dad. sorry. For yeah. whoever. But – We are going to be there to ramp you all up for the stakes. We are kicking it off next week, actually later on this week, with a required reading episode all about Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, one of the recommended readings Mm, by James Gunn. They're, of course, going to be adapting a movie on that. So check that out later this week as this is airing. Also, we're going to do a bunch of movie recaps and other things leading up to the Flash movie, things you got to watch before you check that out. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast and do all of that. If you like to support us patreon.com slash comic book club also do a live show every tuesday night at 7 p.m to facebook and youtube come hang out we'd love to chat with you about the dc universe apple spotify stitcher or the app of your choice to subscribe listen and follow the show at comic book live on twitter comic book club live.com for this podcast and many more until next time dad we're all counting on you uh, dad i let the dog out delicious earlier. high stakes but just like you got to let him out probably before bedtime. Just real quick. Sorry. I, this is a bad place to do this, Dad, but sorry. Sorry.